Well, happy Father's Day. If you're sitting near your father, just give him a wink right now in this moment. It's awesome that you're here in church on this day. And uh, we get the opportunity to not only acknowledge fathers, but the father to the fatherless, the father of us all, and the creator God himself. And uh, so it's an awesome opportunity for us to gather then under him uh, who is the leader of us all. And, uh, but we are gre- uh, deeply grateful uh, for the fathers uh, that have invested in our lives. And I love the, the video. Uh, there's definitely a sense of, of connection there. Like, yeah, uh, the stinky baby. Like, you want to hand it over. It's like, no, you got this, right? It's uh, such a moment uh, that uh, we as fathers get to see all stages of life. And it's a wonderful journey. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. And you're, we're also going to be in First Peter 1. And Hebrews 12. So if you would like to, they're all very near each other in the scriptures. James is actually in between the two. Uh, So we'll go from James to Peter. So going right and then we'll go back left to Hebrews 12 in those Bibles. If you have a Bible app, the YouVersion app in particular, go to the events tab and uh, click on that. And then you'll see LEFC and you hit that and you'll see all the scriptures that will be used this morning. So we began a series called Recalibrate two weeks ago. So while you were being baked out in the parking lot, uh, there was a message being spoken whether you heard it or not. If you, if you were trying to battle the heat, you might need to go back and re-listen to it. Uh, this particular series was born out of the idea and understanding that as a church, we've been sell, uh, separated You know, over the last 12 months in various manners, our families have been separated in various ways. And as a result, the church didn't have always its best place. In fact, people, as they were getting separate from others and we weren't able to hold each other accountable as well as in the past, there there was fruit of our lives that weren't bearing the things that God would want to bear. And so we were looking, it's like, it is... It is time for the church to recalibrate. Now, again, many of us did well and some of us did not. But it is always good to consider an opportunity to be recalibrated, making sure that our lives are indeed in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is who we find our life in Jesus Christ. And the fruit that we've been receiving from Galatians chapter 5 are the evidences that the Spirit of God is within us. And so over the past month, when we were left to social media or very brief interactions, uh, whatever your core was, was what was evidenced and experienced by others. And so as we go through these fruit of the Spirit, the question really is, are these evident in my life? Do people see these things in me? And if not, it's not a matter of, okay, I got to start doing them. It's a matter of going back and saying, am I not responding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in parts of my life where the fruit of his work is lacking evidence in me? And so we go back to his work in us. Now, calibration is often a journey. And so we've talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago when I talked about my, my clocks and my car, both of my vehicles need calibrated, but I don't have the ability to do them. I can get them right uh, every six months when we go through that, that uh, change of time. They do 
become correct, but they're off just slightly. And, and so by the time the next six-month change of clock happens, the one is three minutes slow and the other one is six minutes fast. And so you could probably do the math to figure out just how off they are. But it would take the master designer to change it. Well, last week I brought up the idea that the scale that I use is now 25 years old, and it isn't quite accurate anymore, and, and I'd like to say it's quite significantly inaccurate, but it's only slightly inaccurate, and it needs recalibrated or tossed, and so I get that there are common things that are around us that we use every day that get calibration, and sometimes over time, they need to be recalibrated to what they were intended to do. I have found that it also happens in human interaction, where calibration happens. Consider what makes a happy marriage. What makes a happy home? In, in the way that, in my case, my wife subtly calibrates me. So how does this go? She knows that I'm a person that I don't like clutter. I like things in good order. Not that I expect that of her, but there's ways that she can use that to calibrate me. So if I come home, I'll get that subtle text like, are you home yet? Because I'm going to be working late. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm home. Well, I, I'm not going to be able to get dinner. That's hint, hint, can you make dinner? And, and then she's like, oh... And, you know, the kitchen's kind of a mess right now. And that's a tip that, Tony, clean the kitchen, make dinner. And those are kind of subtle ways. And it's like, okay, this is a way I can be a contributor to the household. And, and so then I noticed that my wife was doing this with my son. When all of his water bottles were filling the sink. And I'm like, what is going on? She goes, I refuse to clean them. I want him to figure out that he can clean them on his own. And I'm like, but I can't even rinse my plates off. It's so full of water bottles. She goes, I said, when will he notice? She goes, well, it's got to be soon because he, he's gone through everything in our cabinets now. That was her way to calibrate my son. But there's ways that she does this with me beyond just the kitchen. Like, for instance, when I'm looking for that pair, a pair of underwear, and it's like, my drawers are empty. She goes, well, there's a pile of clothes in the other bedroom, which is, hen, hen, Tony, go fold them and put them away, and you'll have what you need. But then there's other things where, born out of those relationships, people who are mechanically minded and, design, and able to design things realize that they can take those things and make life easier for us spouses. For instance, my car has this wonderful feature of zoned heating and cooling. My wife, when, you know, going through, you know, because of her cancer, has had to, uh, and fighting that, there were some things that happened that created that special season of hot flashes. And so we can go, and the temperature's just perfect in the vehicle, and all of a sudden, she's cranking the cooling in the car. And they could be in the middle of winter, and I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? And she's like, she just gives me the hand. And I'm just like, okay. I'm saying nothing. Because one of our vehicles is a very dumb vehicle. You have to do everything manually. So if you make the change, it affects us all. But in my car, she can control her side. 
She can set the temperature the way she wants it. I can keep mine at a nice, steady place. Happy marriage, right? But then she gets into those extreme moments, and then she starts affecting her dials, and that's not enough. She comes to my side, and I'm like, wait, that's my side. She goes, but it's not doing enough on my side. I'm like, oh, boy. So then, you know, there is marital harmony for the most part because they created that wonderful zone heating and cooling. But I am praying that nobody creates this for a way to bring harmony of actually installing a panic button on the passenger side of the car or a secondary brake because that would hinder our marriage. Yes, I recognize we are completely calibrated differently as to when we would normally press a brake. How many of you would admit that there has been marital discord because you are calibrated differently of when you would press the brake? Admit it. All right. See, there's a lot of us in here. And sometimes it's not necessarily male to female. It's just different between us. But that's because we're designed differently. We react differently. And then when we don't respond in the way the other is calibrated, there is a natural instinct to respond. The imaginary break does not work. So my wife has gone a different route now. She uses the handle that's up on the front of the windshield and grabs a hold of that really tight, and that's my clue that you better be slowing down. Those are the moments that are just fun between my wife and I. We, we don't have great marital discord, although there are moments that it, doesn't, it does get a little tense in, those, in, those, in the car. But it just points to the reality that each of us are wired uniquely. Each of us are different in the way we respond to things. But it is true that as human beings, that when, when left without the work of God in our lives, our calibration usually will not lead us to anything that would bring glory to God or, for that matter, peace to our own souls. We are in need of God's alignment in us and to cause us to align more directly with how life can be done with his help, which is why we call it the fruit of the Spirit, because the Spirit, if leading us, will create evidences that will show that he is there. So this list that is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is a statement from God saying, listen, you will know those who are walking by my spirit when you see those evidences in their life. So the real question then, as we go into these fruit of the spirit, and we'll go through them one by one, it's not a matter of, okay, steps one, two, and three on how to become a better loving person. Or as we're looking at today, steps one, two, and three on how to be more joyful. No, each message is to talk about, do you see that this is evident in your life? And if not, why is that so in regards to your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because we're going to keep pointing you to the fact that God desires to walk with you in everything in your life. 
So if you're looking at the list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if there's something you know is not evident in your life, you can figure out the schedule of these sermon series and not show up on that day. So I'm guessing self-control is going to be a low-attended Sunday in July. It's the last Sunday in July, if you're wondering. So having said that, we begin today looking at joy, but joy from a perspective as what joy truly means and what it does not mean. As we will see from the text in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, where it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the beginning phrase that says this will lead to becoming more mature, not lacking in anything. So perseverance, creating its work, stems from joy during the trials. So consider Pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So ultimately what this is saying is joy comes from something deep within and from a resolved mind. Joy is not happiness, which depends, as one commentarian put it, happiness depends on circumstances. Joy is something that rides through everything that happens in life, both the good and the difficult, the success and the failures, joy rides deep from within and through regardless of the context. And so therefore, joy from this deep side of us, yes, can lead to happiness. But happiness in and of itself is fleeting because it's dependent upon the moment. Now when I think about joy, and I try to identify it, when we talk about there's, oh, they're a real happy person. And when we say that phrase, we're usually referring to somebody that is just like giddy and just hyper. But when you use the term joy to describe somebody, we're usually referring to something much more deep than something superficial like happiness. So what I'd like you to do right now is to consider who in your lifetime that you would ascribe to them the term joy, and being joyful than the most common person that you would normally interact with. Who would you say in your lifetime you've encountered where joy is the descriptor? So think about it. Where joy was what rode through them regardless of context. So when I did this exercise with myself, this past week, I came up with this name of a person that I met back in, in my early 20s. Her name was Sandy. Now, I met Sandy while on a mission trip. I was a youth pastor. I was taking a group of, of students, about 30 teenagers, down to a border town in Mexico. We were going there, and how the day would look is that you would spend half your day building a house for somebody who's in a little colonia, shanty town, 
And, uh, and you would build them a house in the morning, like work on a house. And then in the afternoon, you were doing vacation Bible school with children in that colonia. You were doing uh, sports camps with kids in that colonia, playing uh, soccer and so on. And, and our students that were taking were leading these BBSs, and then they were sharing their relationship with Jesus, their testimony, with them at the end of the sports camps every day. We were having 100 to 200 children every day we were working with in these small uh, colonias that where every house had, it was about 10 foot by 10 foot, like a mower shed. And, and then their plot of ground that that set on was not much bigger than uh, my, my living room. And, and so these places were just on top of each other. And as we're working with them, uh, we needed an interpreter. And so the interpreter we were assigned was this girl named Sandy. She lived in that colonia. She knew Jesus. She had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for her, uh, she also knew very, very well English. So she could interpret on our behalf. And so our students are going through some level of culture shock because this group of students were from Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you know anything about Hershey, it's a well-off town. Uh, you know, people are connected to the hospital there. Uh, there's also a lot of attorneys there and a lot of people that work for corporate, uh, the chocolate company. And, and so a lot of those kids were on this team. They were not lacking for anything. And so they're going down there. They're seeing poverty at a level they've never seen before. They were a little bit shell-shocked. And so as we're going into the colonia, and you could smell, because there's no running water, therefore there's no sewer system. And so everybody has a hole in the ground that there would be some kind of barrier that you couldn't see them, but, but that's where they had to use for the restroom. And, and so if you could imagine, it smelled. And everything was different. It wasn't quite clean either. Every house was a makeshift house made up of metal or pieces of wood. But Sandy, who lived in that context, was so joyful to have us there. And so whenever our students would speak to try to talk to the person we were building the house of, they, she would hear what they were saying, and then she would speak with greater energy. So our students would often say, like, um, have you ever gone to church before? And it's very monotone, no energy. And Sandy would st speak in Spanish with, with just joy and, and energy exuding from it. And you could just tell it's like that there was something real in her and our students needed to catch up. It didn't take long before her influence impacted us all. As her energy grew in representing the gospel that she wanted her neighbors to know, our students began to speak with joy. Now, there's another part of this story that I need to share. Sandy was legally blind. She could hardly see. She could see enough that in open spaces, she could see where to walk. But when going through closed spaces, she needed to hold on to somebody's arm. She made her money, how she lived and how she was able to feed herself because she didn't have parents there to take care of her. She was at this point in time 17 or 18 years old. And she fed herself by going into the marketplace where all of the Americans would go in to buy their Mexican blankets or Mexican vanilla, their Mexican trinkets, because this was where a border crossing was. And so those Americans would come in, and what she would do is she would walk around with a basket selling 
Chiclets gum. Some of you might remember Chiclets gum, but that was something from, that was a little box that had these little square pieces of gum, and, and for her, that's how she made her money, to be able to feed herself. But you would not know that she was lacking anything. She loved Jesus. She loved to tell her neighbors about Jesus. And she was encouraging us to, to share with joy the gospel of Jesus Christ. I truly realized what joy looks like. And it's different from happiness. Happiness looks and says, oh, this is a great moment. But then later something goes wrong in the day. And you go from happy to all of a sudden being a grumbler. But for her, she only had one set of clothes. She only had a tiny little place that she lived in next to her aunt and uncle. A little section that they put next to their 10 by 10 house. That's where she lived, selling chiclets gum. And yet you would have thought she was the richest person in our group. It impacted us greatly. See, joy is not happiness. Joy is rooted in more of a constant outlook upon life. And as this text says, that we should consider pure joy when we do go through hard times because it's an opportunity for us to develop perseverance so that we can grow more and more mature in our faith. But instead, when something gets difficult, because we do have so much, we complain. Our faces get contorted. We become bitter and we become of no help. Over the past 14 to 16 months, the world has all been put to an even plane. For three to four months, the entire world was stuck in their homes. And as each nation decided their timeline of when you could go back out in society... For America, what was interesting is that for the first time, we experienced something that could steal from us. And it did something to the psyche of America. As I began to go to the grocery store and stores were beginning to open, people were on edge. People were, I don't know, just easy to tick off. It didn't take... Too many times at the grocery store to have an encounter where I could hear somebody yelling at an employee as if they created the policies. What stuck out, stood out to me, was when I saw this person that was older, don't even know who they were, and through their mask, their joy was evident. They were the next person in line behind somebody who had just ranted. And they just said, I hope you have a good rest of the day. And it was this older lady. And you could see her smile in her eyes and her leaning in to bring joy. And the person said, thank you. And then she said, God bless. There was joy in that person. And it stood out. And you could tell it made a difference to that cashier. That moment, which was early on, going back to like May and June of last year, back when we thought we're only another six weeks away from freedom, 
so we thought. The world was looking for joyful people. An answer to put into perspective what we're all going through. And what was interesting is I was looking at social media or I was interacting with people from the church out in society is that joy was not as common as I would have liked it to be. When the world was looking, when there was a platform that was more opportunistic than any other time in my lifetime for joy to be a part of the selling of what God can do in a person's life even when things are hard. Instead, what the world encountered was a bitterness and anger, and frustration in the church. Many encounters between those who did not know Jesus and those who did walked away with nothing to offer, nothing received in that encounter with somebody who knew Jesus. Why is that the case? Is it because that person doesn't love Jesus? No, it's because they started walking by the flesh and stopped walking By the Spirit. Because if we're walking by the Spirit, we'll confront the anger, the frustration, the bitterness, the agitation. The Spirit will confront those things in our lives and draw us back to the deep well of God where joy resides in spite of our context. We need to reconnect to the Spirit of God because people are still looking for joy. So when people encounter you or when people encountered you over the last several months, what did they experience? Did they experience a resolve that they could describe as joy or did they find another bitter person that's complaining about everything that they see and therefore no different from the rest of the world? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So turn to the right just a little bit in the scriptures there. 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter is speaking at a time. We we taught through Peter. We began it in January 2020. And we finished it in May of 2020. So it started prior to COVID and through COVID. And what's interesting is that Peter wrote this at the peak of great persecution upon the church. The church was suffering greatly because of their faith. So when you understand that, rehear verse 3 of chapter 1 and following. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, church, you should greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result then in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Speaking to a church that is dying because they bear the name of Jesus. And he points them back to saying, praise be to God that we have an inheritance 
that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that inheritance cannot be taken from you. It cannot perish. It cannot waste away. It is rock solid. It is a positive inheritance that will indeed pay great dividends. In spite of whatever this world may do to your inheritance, this inheritance cannot be taken from you. Which is why I look at Sandy and say, that's why she was joyful. She looked beyond her current state that said, I am poor, I have one set of clothes, I live by what I earn from chiclets gum, and I then experience joy in the most when my neighbors discover the inheritance that comes in Jesus Christ. One of those people she introduced to us was a lady named Rosa. Rosa was actually one of the ones we were going to build a house for. And so on day one, my team, which we had a group of 36, we broke us up into four groups. My group was assigned Rosa's house. We intentionally built with hand tools this house. With nails, not screws. The point was to take time, not do it quickly. Because it was an opportunity to build relationship with the person we're building the house for. But Rosa was not an ordinary citizen of this colonia, this shantytown. She was a woman that was older. She was around 70 years of age. She had no legs. She had no legs. She did not have a motorized um, wheelchair. She had to push herself no matter where she went. She and her husband had a very dilapidated house they were living in that, that was, was about to collapse at any time, so they were starting to sleep on this bench seat that was out of a pickup truck. But for her, she had to sleep in her chair. So we were building them a 10 by 12 home that, again, would be the size of our sheds for our mowers. It would look a lot like it, except for it would have a human-sized door and a window, she was excited when we showed up day one with all the wood. She was asking lots of questions. Our interpreter was Sandy. Sandy was so excited as we're sharing our personal stories of Jesus to share with Rosa. By the end of our second week, towards the middle of the second week, Rosa and her husband gave their lives to Jesus. On the final day, Rosa's husband, who made his income through the selling of Coke in a bottle, if you have never had that, it's quite an experience. Mexican Coke with Mexican sugar, it is different from anything you can buy in the United States. But he broke open that cooler that was on the backside of his trike that he would ride in that same market where all the Americans would go. And he'd sell them a bottle of Coke, and that's what he used to, to pay for their food. Rosa would go and park her, her wheelchair on that same market with simply putting a can there, smiling at people, get a few coins. That's how they made their ends meet. But on the day of dedication of that house, Rosa and her husband held a party. 
for our entire team of 36 people. He gave us each a bottle of Coke. He had gone to all those who owed him money, and he made sure that we could each have a bottle. Then he went to this patch that was about, I would say, five foot in diameter of sugar cane. And he took his machete and began to cut off branches of that sugar cane and then gave us each six-inch pieces. That sugar cane was to last the entire drought season. He gave up half of it for one day so that each of our team could chew on sugar cane and drink a bottle of Coke and celebrate. Our wealthy students from America did not want to receive this free gift because they could buy that so easily. But he insisted, I must. This is a great day. This couple that was so despondent the first day we were there now is filled with joy that is beyond happiness. It's taught us something so great. They gave up of what little they had to celebrate with us. It made a profound impact on all of us. Three years later, my wife and I are taking another group of students down to that region of Mexico, but we were in a different town, a different city. We asked the mission agency if we could take an afternoon and take this team to, a for, to the other colonia we'd been out three years before and introduce them to the people that we had ministered to. We went to Rosa's place only to find that the house was gone. It was an empty patch of dirt. I was very discouraged. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice in excitement, chanting in Spanish, something I don't know, but totally excited. And it was a teenage girl that, that at the time, three years before, was an older elementary student. She had recognized my wife and I and came up and was so excited to see us. She had very little English in her, in her language, but we had an interpreter with us and was helping interpret. And, and so I asked, where's Rosa? Where's her house? And she goes, Rosa, and she pointed up the street. And as we're walking up the street to Rosa's house, she informed us that Rosa's husband had died several months before. And so they had to sell the house that we had built for him so that they could pay for the for the means of being able to live. And Rosa moved in with her daughter and her family up the street. So this team of about 30 students and adults are walking up to a place they've never met Rosa before. And I don't even know what house we're going to. So we take several turns and finally we get to this house. That girl that was with us goes in and we're standing outside. And I hear this gasp inside the room. And wheeling outside, out, of, into, out of the shadows and into the light was Rosa. Tears flooding her face. And she kept raising her hands saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, in Spanish. And I knew what she was saying. She comes up and we give her hugs, Kristen and I. We introduce her to our team. And her tears are just flowing. And she wanted to tell us something. <laughs> Through the interpreter, she says this. When my husband died, a part of me left. But I found joy in the God you introduced us to. But I was feeling a lack of joy yesterday. And I said, God, I don't want to lose my joy 
And so she said, she felt like God was telling her, remember your most joyful moment. And she remembered the day of dedicating her house. Coca-Cola, sugar cane, and our students. And she said, she enjoyed the moment of memory so much, she said, God, would you bring them back one more time? 24 hours later, my wife and I show up. God taught us that he is the source of joy. He is the source of joy. And our students from Hershey, Pennsylvania, another group from there, realize that joy is not found in our wealth. It's not found in the ease of life. It's found in the rock known as Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith and hope into other things, and those things get threatened, we become grumblers. We become complainers. We become despondent. And therefore, we are of no help and benefit to anybody around us. It's time to go back and root ourselves in Jesus. Recalibrate. Walk by the Spirit. And experience again a resolve and a joy that takes you through the difficult time. Which is where I want to take us now to conclude this sermon in Hebrews chapter 12. Would you turn there? Just to your left, not much. Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so James what did James say James said consider it pure joy when you experience trials because it will lead to a perseverance of your faith that will become stronger so that in the time of need when things are not great, you still are rooted in the joy of the Lord. And in Peter, he says, when you're experiencing all these trials, again, realize that it is going to produce an, a revelation to others around us that the, there is genuine faith inside of you when the people see joy. And as a result, when they see joy in you, they'll praise Jesus in heaven. But the writer of Hebrews says, when we are running this race, throw off the things that don't matter. Not everything is sin that is needless, that is holding us back, but some things are. So anything that hinders you from being able to run and run well the race that Jesus wants you to run, throw it off. And fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, 
to recalibrate is to not figure out how to fix your own mess. It's to go back to the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith. The one who designed you, the one who's writing your story. Go back to him who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So, and my question is, what was the joy that was set before him that made the cross worth it? He knew what was coming with the cross. He knew what was going to be the end result. But what was it that was the joy that was coming ahead that made going to the cross worth it? Scorning even the embarrassment of the cross. And that scorning and shame is because the cross was offensive. It was the most humiliating way to die among the Hebrew culture at the time. Done by the Romans. They would strip you naked and then put you in front of people after beating you brutally. Your dignity is gone. But yet Jesus scorned that. He dismissed it. It meant nothing to him, as one commentarian said, because of that scorn. All because there was a joy that was set before him. That joy is you and I. Do you understand that? He scorned the shame of the cross. He scorned the embarrassment of it. He scorned and endured the pain of it. So that he could collect us, those who would become his children and followers of him, for those of us that have faith in him. That for the joy of having us join him, he was willing to do that. Which is why then in verse 3 it says, So then, in light of our troubles, consider him who endured so much, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I don't know if it stood out to you in all three of these passages, but perseverance was the byproduct of joy in the journey. If you want to develop perseverance and strength where you can make it through even the most challenging of times, joy is the first fruits of perseverance. Joy is the first fruits of maturation of faith. Joy is evidence that you're walking with your eyes fixed on Jesus and powered by the Holy Spirit himself. So perseverance and hope become our joyful journey when we run to and run like Jesus regardless of the times. Let's pray. Father God, I have no idea what each of the people here in this room have gone through in their lives. There might be trials where they are growing weary and losing heart. God, renew their strength today when they put their eyes on you. May they find immediate strength in their ankles and in their, in their elbows and in their mind and in their heart. And God, if a mirror is held up to our souls right now because this, this was written so that we could see, is, are we walking by the Spirit or are we walking by our own flesh? God, if, we, if we're lacking joy, 
would you then draw us back to being in step with the Spirit? In step with you, fixing our eyes on you so that joy can be birthed anew in us. Because, Lord, it's not only for our sake. It's also for the world who is looking for joy and hope when it's so fleeting without a Savior like Jesus. So, God, in this moment, we just pray that for those of us who have been in Christ, you'll birth a new joy in us, a great and deep resolve. And if somebody has never known the joy of the Lord, may they come to know you, Jesus the one who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith where joy can be found. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to conclude this service singing the song we began with the sermon, Raising Alleluia, which was written in the midst of a storm. To say, I'm still going to praise God in the midst of the storm. And the world finds that strange. But we're also going to lead into another song that you're going to know. But not from the context of summer. But it speaks to what it says in Psalm 98. That there is a God who is worthy of our praise. Who is the source of joy. And that joy from him goes to the farthest ends of the world. And it's to be received as hope and salvation for all. So would you join and let the joy of the Lord cause song to be strongly said from our mouths and exuding from our faces because we serve a great God and he has done much on our behalf for the joy set before him endured much. Would you stand please? So I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes, hope will arise Death is defeated, the King is alive So I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive sing to the lord psalm, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. 
the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity.
So if you noticed a connection between verse 3 of Joy to the World and Hebrews 12, 1 and 3. Verse 3, Joy to the World says, No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse can be found. Now the curse of sin is found across the entire globe of the world, which then means that the blessings that are flowing from God goes far as the curse can be found. The blessings are right there too. So therefore we don't let sin and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. But as Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. As we consider Jesus who endured the cross so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Joy is given us so that we can persevere and thrive even in the midst of the great challenges that life can offer. And then when there are the great moments, joy celebrates the happiness that can come in those special moments. And so while I am truly thankful to have encountered many joyful saints in our church, I truly have appreciated my experiences with people who don't have as much as we do and yet have joy. The cool thing about Sandy's journey is that the year after we, we left, and sorry, because we never saw her again after that initial year, we went back to see Rosa. We did not see Sandy. But what you don't know is that some friends of ours that live in this area heard about her story of blindness. And so we think there's a surgery that, they can, be ha- that can be had for her. They paid to have her get a surgery in the United States, and she was able to see in full. It's a cool part of the story. And also, when we visited Rosa that day, we asked about Sandy, and they said, oh, she's good. She got married, and she already had two children. The Lord blessed her and filled her up with greater joy, and now she even has that family. So that same joy that's in her is the same joy I see in many of you, but I pray that it will come in abundance. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning, we'll have people at the encounter room uh, to my left that would love to pray with you about whatever it is that God's put on your heart. We just want to make sure that everybody goes out of here knowing who Jesus is and knowing that Jesus is the author and perfecter of a faith, the faith that will bring joy to your life, even when life throws you the curveball. I pray this in Jesus' name over you. Amen. You're dismissed.